You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast. And Pro Football Hall of Famer. The General. Sean McClain. Welcome. Welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. Utopia Football Podcast. This is our third episode this week. Um, we are shifting, we think, to two per week. And we'll wait and see, you know, with the playoffs and whatnot. But as of right now, an early in the week episode and then a mailbag later in the week. mailbag at gmail.com. But this is our third episode this week because we had an emergency episode in which John McClain was on a private jet, so I recorded about 20 minutes of thoughts on Lovey Smith getting fired. If you missed that one, go check it in our archive uh, and get my thoughts on Lovey Smith getting fired. We'll get John's thoughts on it in a second here just so we can get that into the podcast realm. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Sports Radio 610. Of course, John McClain is the Hall of Famer. He's our senior Texans columnist at sportsradio610.com and gallerysports.com as well. Um, John, I just mentioned uh, the emergency pod on Monday. First of all, how was the trip to L.A. for the national championship game? trip was great unless you were a TCU fan. We were around a lot of TCU fans. I felt bad for them. I felt happy for the Bulldogs. So congratulations on back-to-back titles. Yeah, but how was the private jet, John, and the suite, like that stuff? Suite was fantastic. The stadium was fantastic. The private jet was great, but uh, it was just such a terrible game. Yeah. People were um, people were crying for Mattress Mac afterwards, and I think they forget that, well, now there's a bunch of people that have to pay for their furniture. Um, yeah, so he lost okay. $9 million on a $3.1 million bet, but the way he always edges those bets, Mac doesn't lose money. You know, but people buy a lot of furniture and why not buy it if you got a chance to get it back? He's already got a he's got a promotion out there where you get double your money back on the Astros. And uh so he'll have more. He's got U of H. He's always looking for others. So it's very interesting working for Master Mac Mattress Mac, I can tell you that. Yep, absolutely. All right, John. So let's get in a few things I want to get into before we hit a few of these mailbag questions. We'll hit the coaching search probably. We, the coaching search and the draft stuff, there's so many people emailing in questions about that. We'll have no problem covering that with people's questions. Um, but I think people probably do want to hear your thoughts. Two things I want to hit. Lovey, your thoughts on Lovey Smith getting fired. And then Nick Casario did an interview Wednesday morning with me and Seth Payne for about 40 minutes on a variety of topics. 
Um, and obviously did a press conference earlier this week as well. Um, but I guess before we get into Casario, your thoughts, you've been saying when, not if, on Lovey for the last several weeks, and that came to fruition just a few hours after they landed back in Houston from Indianapolis. Sunday night, he was gone. Yeah, I knew he was gone, so I wasn't surprised about it. I'd been writing a column because uh, to have it done because I didn't want it to happen on Monday when I was on that jet. So right about half, halfway through, I got a tip. He'd been fired, tweeted it immediately. And, of course, then everybody was. And and I knew Lovey was gone because the team didn't even – the team regressed. You know, you and I picked them to win six games. They didn't have to win any more than that. Five would have been okay, but the offense with Pep Hamilton uh, was awful. Davis Mills regressed, and Lovey put all of his eggs in the Pep Hamilton basket and let Pep hire his coaches and determine the personnel, the play calls, and that didn't work. And, and there's nobody locally who watched that team who didn't believe they took a step back. And uh, a lot of the national people don't seem to understand that because they never watched them play. But uh, Nick Casario get one more chance to hire a head coach. And if he doesn't, third time won't be the charm for Nick. He'll be out before they have to hire a fourth one. And this guy will get a five-year contract for about $25, 30000000 depending on who they hire. And they better hope they got this one right. Yeah, this coaching, yeah, for sure. John, do you get frustrated with the national media narrative surrounding the firing of David Culley and the firing of Lovey Smith, considering not these, like, these people haven't watched any Texans games all year? Yeah, not like I did when I worked at the Chronicle. Now that I work for Mattress Mac at Gallery Sports and SportsRadio610.com, I don't have to worry about what they say as far as scoops and things like that because I'm a columnist. And uh and but still, it is amazing, and that's what people are paid to do to have opinions. But it's amazing how many of them have and have them, and some are right, and everybody's entitled to opinion. I bet none of them watched the full Texans game this year because why in their right mind would anybody have watched the full Texans game this year? Yeah. Um. So we'll get into the list of candidates here in just a second. Actually, let's do it now. So the the because we've got we've got some questions in the mailbag. Um, but the, as far as the, the candidates go, as of you and I recording this, there are six candidates who have been requested by the Texans for interviews. And I'm assuming these first interviews take place over Zoom. Um, but the six candidates, three defensive coordinators, three offensive coordinators, the OCs are Mike Kafka of the Giants, uh, Shane Steichen of the Philadelphia Eagles, and Ben Johnson of the Detroit Lions. And then the three defensive coordinators are uh, – Ajiro Averro of Denver, Jonathan Gannon, a finalist last year, also of Philadelphia. And then probably, I would say probably the favorite for Texan fans, without a doubt, D'Amico Ryans, former Texans legend and San Francisco 49ers, D.C. Do you, is it, do you, do you have a favorite, John, of these? Uh, like both a favorite that you would like to see get the job and also a favorite that you think would be the one who, like a betting favorite to get the job among these six right now? And I think they will interview other candidates, of course, mm -hmm. under the rules. You can do it on Zoom this week. You can start interviewing them in person after the wild card round this weekend. And I would love to see D'Amico Ryans get hired, and I'd love to see Bryce Young be the quarterback, but there's a good chance both those things aren't going to happen. And uh, Jonathan Gannon, they liked a lot. Nick Casario and Cal McNair sat in on every interview, asked a lot of questions of every candidate liked him a lot 
And uh, you don't know if he'll like them a lot this year after he was had two interviews and didn't get the job. It also depends on what are the opportunities he has. And we know they're going younger. Of these candidates, Eve Rose, the oldest at 42. Mike Kafka is the youngest at 35. And uh, I kind of feel like they're going to hire an offensive coach. Uh, Shane Steichen has been a coordinator the longest, three years, two for Philadelphia, one for the Chargers. He calls plays for the Eagles. And I like coordinators who call plays, and you can get a good idea of what they do because if you work for an offensive-oriented head coach, they're usually going to call the plays. Ben Johnson calls the plays, and he took over about halfway through last year. And since he did, Jared Goff has been tremendous. You know, they thought they were going to take a quarterback with the first-round pick that they got from the Rams, and now they're going to be able to draft a position player to strengthen their team, which already has done a dramatic turnaround. And when you're bad like Jacksonville and Detroit for years and years, you should be stockpiling good players. And the key, of course, is to get the right coach. And uh, so Steichen is going to be hot. And they're going to get other offers. Money's going to be a big issue. Nick Casario and Cal McNair are going to have to convince all the candidates and their agents about why they fired two coaches back-to-back and are about to hire their fourth in four years after showing stability in the franchise's history. And uh, I think one reason that will help is Jack Easterby's gone. And uh, people understood he had a big influence on the organization, and I think it meant a lot harder. I'm guessing they had people turn him down last year because they didn't understand what Easterby's role was going to be. And so uh, I'm excited for them that they've got this opportunity, but I'm going to guess it's going to be one of those offensive coordinators. Uh, I hope so. I, You know, it's funny, John, when you talk about Detroit and Ben Johnson rehabbing the career of Jared Goff, if Ben Johnson leaves to take a head coaching job, do you think that Lions are still out on taking a quarterback at some point? You know, like how much of it do they feel was Johnson and his coaching and his play calling versus, you know, Jared Goff truly being a a rehabbed quarterback? Well, it, it doesn't matter who the play caller is. There are some play callers that you can't make chicken salad out of chicken. You know what? Yeah. And I think Goff should get all the credit for that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Johnson took, a, you know, you can see what plays a guy calls. Yeah. You can see how the quarterback reacts to that. So they may promote somebody on their staff if he leaves. He's only been a coordinator one year. Mike Tomlin only been a coordinator one year. Brandon Staley, when he went to the Chargers, been a coordinator one year. It doesn't matter as much as it used to when it comes to experience because they don't hesitate to fire people yeah. today because they don't mind paying off a lot of money. I think uh, the NFL told the owners a couple of weeks ago they had like $800 million in dead money for coaches that they'd fired and GMs they'd fired and others that are gone. And uh, But when your franchise is worth multiple billions, that may get our attention, but it doesn't really get their attention. I'm always worried about a guy who's been a one-year coordinator if he did not call the plays of the defense. Yeah. yeah the number was – I saw the article you're talking about. It was an Adam Schefter article – the number was $800 million over the last five years. <laughs> Teams have spent to pay, basically pay coaches and executives to go away and not work for them anymore. That's, and, that's astounding. The Texans are one of those. They got it. They paid off Brian Gain and Bill O'Brien. They're no longer on the books, but they got, you know, Casario making $5 million a year. And they've got now David Culley and Lovey to play, pay off for a while, pay their 
contracts for a while. Then you have offset language. If one of them gets another job, you would subtract it. But, you know, David Culley, if he comes back after a year of retirement, he'll be a position coach. And I'm not sure, any, but maybe somebody will hire Lovey as a coordinator. But the fact is, neither one of them is going to be head coaching. No, no. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So, John, where do you um, where do you rank this Texans job among the openings right now? There's five openings as of today, and I'm guessing there will be a sixth if the possession arrow on Sean McVay is pointed in the direction we think it is right now. It's Sean McVay sounds like somebody who's who's leaving that job. Um, but the five openings we know of, Carolina, Indianapolis, Denver, all opened up during the season. Texans fired Lovey on Sunday. Cliff Kingsbury gets fired on Monday, I believe it was. So we'll just call it those five openings. Where do the Texans rank for you among those five openings right now? Well, the first thing you got to look at, and this is what Sean Payton said last week, is ownership. That's important to him. Of course, he didn't say this, but he has to have total control. So he could go to Arizona and get total control as a coach and GM. And Mickey Loomis had the title, has the title of general manager in New Orleans, and Mickey's a cap guy. And uh, he worked with Peyton at Dick Contracts, and Peyton controlled everything. They could do that same thing out in Arizona. They could hire him where if he went to, to, to the Cowboys, and that could be open if they lose at Tampa Bay. And uh, they've got a lot of talent. they got Jerry Jones with final say. You know, the Texans will have a lot of talent. In fact, I'm I'm writing a column for Gallery Sports about Casario, what he said in his news conference, and some of the things he told you and Seth Payne. And uh, I saw an analysis yesterday online saying the Texans were best positioned when it comes to the cap, redoing contracts, and having draft capital. It's number one. I saw that too. But, but for a head coach, you know, having that – is great, but you if you've had an owner that's fired two coaches in two years and fired a guy five games, it was five or four games into 20 that Bill got fired. Oh, and off, four, four games. Coming oh, off four. a playoff season in which he won a playoff game and led the Chiefs by 24 points, and then you fire these guys after one and done, there's going to have to be a whole lot of explaining to do by Nick Casario and Cal McNair about why that's happened here. Because agents are going to want to know that. And so I think they're going to have to pay more to get them. But uh, I saw, I listened to an interview with a friend of mine who covers the Panthers who said he had talked to some executive who said the Panthers were the most attractive opening out there. And I haven't thought that for a second. I would say Arizona because both of them, both jobs are open. You could get a coach who wants to have control over personnel. The only one deserves to have that would be uh, uh, Peyton. Sean Payton because he, all these other guys need a good personnel guy. And I think Nick Casario is a good personnel guy. I think that uh, he's done good things. He was in task with an almost impossible situation here. 
And uh, I don't know how anybody can deny that. There's a lot of people think he ought to be fired. And I'm thinking, do you really not understand the circumstances in which he took over? And and uh, so I think this is an attractive one. But I'd have to say Arizona because when Kyler Murray's healthy, they will have their quarterback in place. But they need a lot of help around them. But yeah. they do have the third pick because I can see them trading down and getting other picks. And uh, that would be really attractive for a head coaching candidate. Yeah, I just don't know how good Kyler Murray is, John. And now he's getting paid 40, 45 million a year. You know, that's that that's the thing that would scare me if if I were a, if I were a, a coach looking at, at Arizona. You brought up Casario. Seth and I talked to him today. I know you heard the interview. If you missed, if you're listening to this podcast and you missed the interview. Download the Pain and Pendergast podcast. Subscribe to that, just like you subscribe to this one. Um, and we've got the Casario interview on its own pod, on its own episode. So go find that and listen to it. It's about forty minutes. Um, I, people get frustrated with Nick's answer sometimes because he does meander and give a lot of word salad, coach or GM speak type stuff. I thought by his standards, I thought this was one of his better conversations he's had with us. Um, the, the the couple things I wanted to hit with you, John. Um, clearly he was clearly Nick had seen the report from your former coworker, Aaron Wilson, that D'Amico Ryans was not interested in the Texans job because Nick didn't mention D'Amico by name, but he did mention the frustration of talking to candidates who, where there were reports they weren't interested in. Instead, they're clearly interested, um, in the job. I felt like when he was clarifying that he may as well just said D'Amico Ryans. Well, D'Amico's interested, and I expect D'Amico will interview if he hadn't interviewed already. And, um, uh, yes, that's all I can tell you. He's interested yep. in the job. Um, Even he, if you weren't interested in the job, you should still interview. Right. Because it might put pressure on another team that, that you want to go to that's not offering as much money as you want or control as you're trying to get. And you also need the experience. He interviewed once last year, turned down Minnesota because he thought he needed more experience as a coordinator, which said a whole lot about him and his personality. 49ers know he's gone. It's just a matter of where he goes. And uh, so uh, I'd love to see him come here. So I'm pretty sure he's going to interview here. So you think D'Amico definitely, definitely gets a job this cycle and definitely wants to leave to take a job this cycle? Yes, I've talked to people with the 49ers. They knew they knew before the season that if they were good and he's got the best defense in the league, fewest points per game, they've won 10 in a row, which is one of the longest streaks going into the playoffs in a few years. And uh, and it's, it's just a matter of when he's gone. I'm guessing a week after, since you can do interviews, I'm guessing a week after their season is over, he will do – couple more interviews in person, and then shortly after that, he'll be named the head coach. Um, did you – did D'Amico – we'll get back to the couple more things from Casario here in just a second, but as long as we're talking about D'Amico, when you were covering him, John, did he strike you as a future head coach? Uh, I One of the things I liked about – one of the many things I liked about D'Amico Ryans is he was available every day. He was at his locker. We could go over and talk to him anytime. I used to tell him how much we appreciated this. I did a column on him last year uh, before the Texans played the uh, 49ers out there. We talked. I saw him uh, before the preseason game this year, shook his hand, said, let me be the first to congratulate you on your new head coaching job. And he just mm -hmm. laughed. He was, I mean, you 
people in New England said Mike Vrabel was going to be a head coach while he played because he used to go in and sit down with Belichick and ask him a million questions because he made no bones about the fact he wanted to coach. I figured if D'Amico wanted to be an assistant coach, he could, but I had no idea back then. That was He, he was here six years, then he went to Philadelphia, that he would end up being a head coach. He never expressed interest in coaching, but you just knew because he was smart, he was analytical, and he was a leader, and he dealt with people very well, not just his teammates, but the media, that he had what it took. I've told players before, Sean, in the locker room, you know, you should seriously consider a broadcasting career when your uh, career's over, or you'd make a great coach. I've done that to quite a few players through the years. And D'Amico, I talked to him one time that I thought if he got into coaching, he'd have a lot of opportunities, but I wasn't thinking along the lines of a head coach. Yeah. And then, and who knows, maybe a head coach for the team he was playing for at the time you told him those comments, the Houston Texans. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A um, couple other things with Casario's conversation today with um, me and Seth. Um I felt like, John, he was trying to I, – I asked him about the comments he made a couple of times in that press conference. He literally said that if there were a coaching candidate who who didn't want him as the GM, basically, that he would respect that if that was the decision of the team to move on from him, which I thought was a really strange thing to say. I've never heard a GM say anything like that before. And there were a few other times where he didn't really attribute – it to a potential coaching candidate he was saying in that press conference monday that if you know he wasn't doing a good job he would be next after lovey and david cully which I, is probably true um it felt like especially the part where he said that he would step aside for a head coaching candidate he kind of walked those back today and i think was just trying to essentially say he was being accountable on monday for his performance and he knows that this franchise isn't where they're supposed to be right now. Is that how you interpreted him today as well? Well, first of all, I thought it was very convoluted and confusing. Nick's the most convoluted interview I've ever seen. Yeah. You mentioned meandering. Boy, he does. He doesn't meander just off the road. He meanders out of the state. And because uh, I've been reading it and cutting stuff for my column I'm doing for Gallery Sports. And I think he never said I would resign. He's not going to resign. He don't be owed twenty million dollars. He's not going to walk away from that. Yeah, and he's not going to be fired. He has it in his contract. He has control of personnel. The only person he could have been talking about would be Sean Payton, and uh, Sean Payton's not coming here when he's got a general manager who has control over personnel. And Nick's not giving that up because then he'd be a glorified personnel director again, so they could cut his contract down to about a million from five million. So it made no sense. And I'm glad you guys asking me clarified it because that will be in my column as well. Oh, good. Um, I guess the other thing, John, uh, the, the, as newsworthy, it sounds like things are progressing very well with John Mechie. Did you hear that part of the interview? Yeah, everybody knows he's coming back and everybody's fired up about it. He'll be like an extra second round draft choice, good slot receiver. They still need another one. You know, exciting to think next year maybe they have 
Quentin Johnston from TCU with the 12th pick and one wide out. You have Nico Collins at the other. That's two big receivers. Then you have Don, John Mechie, the third in the slot. But that is very exciting to know how hard he's been working as he's gotten his treatment for leukemia. And part of that is I remember David Quisenberry. He lived in the weight room while he was undergoing his treatment for leukemia. And so that's great news about Mechie. Yeah, I, the part where Nick said that he, you know, Nick works out the same time Mechie does on Fridays, I guess he said. And he said that Mechie is in better shape now than he was when they drafted him back in April. And when you consider that he's been through cancer treatments in the interim, <laughs> I mean, that's that's really encouraging, I think, if you're a Texan fan, that not only is he going to come back, but at least physically. And again, it's the eyeball test with Nick Casario. There's medical stuff that needs to happen, I'm sure, between now and Mechie getting back on the field, but that's a really encouraging sign, I would say. Absolutely. All right, you want to get to some mailbag questions, John? Sure. Okay, let's do it here. Um, Edmund Heck, I don't know if he's any relation to Charlie Heck or his father, Andy, um, but he says, um, I'm as annoyed as most Texan fans with Lovey beating the Colts and losing the first pick. However, their preseason win total is four and a half. So if that had held up, four or five wins would have actually put the Texans between third and sixth somewhere, depending on who they beat. I remember the talk being that they would need to package their pick with Cleveland's pick to go get a quarterback if they finish with four or five wins. So they're really in that bad of a situation compared to what we expected. So I guess, John, Edmund's question is a long way of us putting the topic out there, which you and I, we talked about following the game on Sunday against the Colts, but now we've had a few days for that the fall from one to two to kind of simmer a little bit. Um, how do you feel about the situation the Texans are in right now with the number two overall pick, knowing that there's still some Texan fans out there that are angry about what happened on Sunday? Well, for fans to be angry about what happened, that's fine. I'm not angry. I wanted them to get the top pick. I wanted them to lose the game. But I also congratulated Lovey and his, his players and his coaches because they always play to win. Cal McNair wanted to win that game. They never go into a game, a team wanting to lose. And so now they have the second pick. It, uh, boy, the key is it's a great deal for the Bears. Number one, Bears need defensive linemen. They could take Jalen Carter or they could take Will Anderson Jr., the two best prospects in the draft. They're higher rated than the quarterbacks. But if they trade down, say, with Indy, they might be able to get one of those two, or they might lose out on one because what if Arizona swaps with somebody that wants the lineman the Bears want? Maybe the Bears will stay where they are to be guaranteed. Maybe Nick will give them a pick to flip. There's no way he's going to give up that Browns pick in the first round. So there's nothing to be done about it. They got the second overall pick. There's a whole lot of places to be worse. And let me ask you something. Um, because they, let's see, they'll pick 30, what, 33rd overall? 33rd, yeah, because the Dolphins lost their first-round pick because of the tampering. So there's only 31 first-round picks. The Texans pick second in every round. So the Bears are like, it's like they if they're picking 32nd, now they traded that pick to the Steelers. The Steelers oh, did they? will be picking, yeah, for the Chase Claypool. Oh, for Claypool, yeah who didn't do squat with the Bears. So it's like the Steelers with the 32nd pick, it's like they have two number ones because 32nd usually is in a uh, – uh, is the first rounder. And Texans have five picks in the first three rounds. 
And I want to remind people they got Damian Pierce with the fourth round pick they got from Cleveland. So I think Casario's done a good job in personnel considering what he had when he got here. And uh, if he likes, I, I'll guarantee you people are going to freak out over Bryce Young's size when he gets to the combine. And uh, they'll love everything else about him. C.J. Stroud, his last game was against Georgia. By the time we get to the draft, people will forget about that. So I do know that Nick, he's going to want people to think he wants to do something that he doesn't. Yeah. You know, John, it's funny. You mentioned C.J. Stroud in the game against Georgia. I would say after that national championship game, one of the winners of that national championship game without having even played in it or even been in the stadium was probably C.J. Stroud. After you see what what Georgia did to TCU in that game, offensively and defensively, but for CJ's purposes, defensively, what TCU did in that game to an explosive TCU offense, man, Stroud, for, for the most part, had his way with that Georgia defense for a lot of that game in the semifinal. He sure did, and Max Duggan was off target from the get-go, saved his worst for last. He'd been tremendous. Georgia just had him in the running game bottled up. And, uh, yeah, I think now when you look back at it, you go, hmm, I was uh, on the fence about C.J. Stroud. And, he, and he's if you look at his last game from the previous season, the bowl game, he threw for over 500 yards and six yeah. touchdowns. He was magnificent. When, this, when these evaluations are over, we got another three months. We got, you know, pro days, combine, you got everything. Uh, Stroud may be clear number one over Bryce Young, and uh, it just depends on who if the who the Colts like. What Chris Ballard has already said, they'll do whatever it takes to get the quarterback they want with that fourth overall pick. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be intriguing as we get closer to the draft. No, oh, it is. It's going to be awesome. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. John Alfredo has a question that I think a lot of people have. Uh, Lovey Smith's been fired. Do you think the new coach comes in if he'll keep any of the existing assistant coaches for his new staff? If if so, which coaches would you expect would be the best would have the best chance of being kept by a new head coach? Uh, one thing that that I would point out: Casario and Easterby hired Cully's coaches. Lovey hired his own coaches. The new coach would insist on hiring his own coaches. Even if he's a coordinator with one year, Nick doesn't need to be getting involved except as a resource since he's had a lot of experience in the NFL and he knows a lot of coaches. And uh, I, uh, Frank Ross, of course, a special teams coach, and maybe he wants to go, go somewhere else. He's tired of losing, but maybe his family loves it here. Frank did a tremendous job. I think George Warhawk who was one of the most highly respected offensive line coaches in the league at Jacksonville, came here for a year. I, they might keep him. Danny Bradley has been the head coach since Bill – I mean, running backs. Danny Barrett has been the running backs coach since Bill O'Brien. Other coaches have liked him enough to keep him. But you don't know. Uh, there's a report by Aaron Wilson that uh, 
Michael Fleur is getting fired by the Jets, uh, who came with Robert Sala from San Francisco. So would D'Amico want to take him? New York media is saying that report's not true. We'll see. But uh, the new guy has got to be able to make up his mind. Nick said some of those guys, they may want to keep them, but they've told people you can, you're free to look. All right. Chris in the ATL says that um, we're seeing a lot of credible and exciting head coaching candidates on the interview list. We also saw a similar process early on during the previous two head coaching searches, and then then came Cully and Lovey. Now Cal is saying he's going to be more involved in the process. That is something Cal said at the press conference on Monday. Um, Chris's question, if McNair really is taking a more active role in the hiring process, do you expect a legit head coach to be named? And if so, does that mean Nick is on a short leash and we're going to see a lot more joint decisions made by the power couple Calcario, he calls them the power couple of Cal and Nick. Hey, John, can you? I know, I, I know you're going to clarify and talk about Cal's involvement in Lovey and and uh, and Cully's hires. Can you clarify that for people? Uh, Cal's previous involvement in the other hires, and I I don't know how big a change this is, honestly. That Cal no change talking, whatsoever. Yeah, no change whatsoever. Cal yeah. McNair sat in every coach's interview and asked questions going back. To Dom Capers, his dad always wanted him involved in everything. He sat in on every interview they've had since he took over for his dad when Bob died. He actually took over for Bob in 2018. Everybody mm -hmm. thinks he just did when Bob died, but Bob was fighting a serious battle with cancer in 18 when Cal was over overseeing that. He's he's the one who named Bill O'Brien general manager. He yeah. fired Brian Gaines. And he had a lot of influence from Bill O'Brien. Jack Easterby came in in 2019. He got really tight with the McNairs, even though everybody told them they were nuts. And so he's going to be involved in every interview. And and Casario will say, Cal, what do, you, what do you think about these candidates? And he'll leave it up to him. And then he'll make his recommendation, which he said in his news conference, and then the McNairs will say yes or no. And they'll say yes. They always sign off unless he has somebody. That, and this person won't get on the interview list, but it's somebody that has New England ties. I'm pretty darn sure the McNairs will not be interviewing anybody with ties from New England. And because they know how the fan base feels about that connection. And there's nobody on the list right now. Uh, and as I told you and Seth, that person can't even have changed planes at Logan International. Well, you were so you 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 were emphatic about it. it was funny too, John. We laughed about it. <laughs> you were saying that to us. Can't even have flown over Gillette Stadium. Right. That, that's when the McNairs would put their foot down. And 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 so Nick will say, This is the guy I'd like to hire. And I'm sure that Cal and Hannah and Janice McNair will say okay yeah and i think they will get a much better candidate last year lovey was a compromise candidate easterby had pushed and pushed mccown and mccown must have been a great interview because they were about to hire him and then somebody came to their senses flores added them to the lawsuit said that he didn't get the job because of discrimination he didn't get the job because they're going to hire mccown and uh I, and i'm guessing it was hanneman there who said, okay, let's step back from this. Nick, let's revisit all this. And that's how, well, let's interview Lovey. And Lovey wanted a job. That's how he got hired. I believe that the David Cully was hired with no experience 
as a coordinator because Easterby had a big role on it, didn't it? Casario had just gotten here first week of January. Their search committee had already interviewed several candidates. And I think that Easterby took somebody, if the guy was better than they thought, great. And we'd keep him a year. But otherwise, let's get somebody in here. If it doesn't work, we're going to our judgment count. So is, is Nick basically, when he stands up there in front of the media and he takes all those bullets that he did on Monday about hiring two head coaches, and now he's getting to hire a third, and taking all the bullets that he's taking in print media, in cyber media, in with fans on social media and all that, he's basically taking the bullets for Jack Easterby, it sounds like. Well, that these Jack, are that, that Jack's yeah. fingerprints, at least on the Cully thing, were were very very distinct. Jack wanted Josh McCown. I yeah. had I wrote this. I've talked about it on six ten before the season was over twenty. I had two or three players tell me, "You watched. He's going to do everything he can to get McCown. They're really tight. They were tight before he got here, and I didn't believe it." And I, I didn't believe it. And I think that's one reason Watson wanted out. He didn't want Easterby having so much control because at that point they hadn't interviewed Casario. And I think Nick is not taking bullets. It says he's, he, he's, he recommended them too. But I think this is the first clean search. When I say that there's no strings attached, there's nobody pushing anybody else. And he and Cal McNair, will do the interviewing. I know Janice McNair has listened in on some of the interviews because she is the controlling owner. And uh so and I'm and and Hannah McNair may too. And uh and then they'll 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 research, do everything Casario said they do. And then Casario will say, I think we should hire this guy and Cal McNair and the McNair family will say, okay. John, Joe Q wants to know if there's a guy out there who's already been a head coach, maybe had a taste of success and then didn't sustain it for whatever reason. And then they were they were let go from their job. Um, that might be a candidate. The names that Joe throws out there, Mike Zimmer in Minnesota, Jason Garrett in Dallas. Uh, I don't think either of those. But can you think of a guy like the closest thing I can think of to something like this would be Frank Reich more recently. You know, that he had a decent run in in Indianapolis, but they can never settle on a quarterback. Or do you think that the do you think that the candidate list is going to look like it looks right now with six young, you know, energetic, up and coming coordinator? Well, up and coming head coaches, but but good young coordinators. I think because Nick Casario said we can't be pigeonholed into any third certain thing. They might interview a couple of former head coaches. Mm-hmm. I would love to have if you are one of these coordinators, they've got to have a former head coach on the staff. Mm-hmm. Whether it's somebody who's an assistant head coach, associate head coach, like Lovey Smith was, whether it's he's an offensive coordinator, like Frank Reich has been an offensive coordinator who didn't call the plays. He's been a he's been an quarterback coach. Frank's a great guy. I'd love to have him on the staff. If they have a small quarterback like Bryce Young, I'd love to get a guy like Cliff Kingsbury, who's coached quarterbacks on the run and of all sizes, going back to when he was in college. And, uh, in fact, the Patriots were talking about him. And I think Kingsbury will be in demand as a coordinator, and he's a great guy. So I do think this, they have got to have an experienced guy for the young head coach, and I say young, Ellie might be 42. He's got to be able to have somebody to bounce stuff off of. That's one reason they kept Romeo Cornell around because Romeo was great. He never gave your his opinion unless you ask, 
and David Culley consulted with him a lot. Blank check Gary Kubiak for D'Amico Ryans as his OC, John. Walk yeah, I'd big... love to see that. He'd be great for coaching Bryce Young because he could coach those quarterbacks oh. rolling out, but I don't see Gary uh, being interested in going back to work full-time. He likes fishing and riding his tractor around his farm and traveling to see his boys and his grandkids. Too does, he, does he like money, John? Does he like – give him – Blank to five million dollars to be an offensive coordinator. Well, I would think it'd be like Minnesota, where uh, Kevin Stefanski was the uh, offensive coordinator, and they brought him in over Stefanski. As mm -hmm. uh, forget the role that he had, but he worked closely with Stefanski, who called the plays for Mike Zimmer. I could, I'd love to see him in a role like that. Now, oh. the new head coach, if he's an offensive coach. He's going to be – I'm pretty sure he'll be calling the plays the first year. When Gary was hired, actually before he was hired, because he wouldn't talk to me when I went up there, I knew he was going to be hired because Bob McNair told me. And so I went to Denver, and I did interviews. One of the interviews, besides Pat Bolin, was uh, when Mike Shanahan and Mike – I told him he's going to get the job, and he goes, well, Gary's going to want to call plays. All offensive coordinators want to call plays. And at some point, might be one year, two or three, he's going to find out he needs to focus on the big picture and let somebody else call plays. And he did that with Kyle Shanahan and helped Kyle get a dead job with his daddy in Washington. So everybody would love to see Kubiak come back, but I don't see it. Last one, John, non-football. Do you think Carlos Correa regrets not taking the five-year, $160 million offer from the Astros before the 2022 season? That's from Bobby in spring. Bobby, I considering Carlos lives here, all of his friends are here, his wife loves it here. In off season, he's hanging out with Altuve and Bregman. And and I'm guessing that he wishes he'd done it, especially in light of the contract he's getting from Minnesota to go back up there and freeze for a team that's not very good instead of staying here and winning a World Series ring. And uh, I like him. I feel bad for him. But you talk about a guy that's been through the ringer. And if the Giants and the Mets are so concerned about that plate down in his lower leg, I'm amazed that the Twins aren't too. But they do have him on a totally shorter and yeah. different contract. Yeah, and he's been in the building there. So they know what his effect is on the clubhouse. They know they know him. They, they you know, they've he's a, he was a twin last year. I think it's a great deal for the Twins. I think it's a I think that is a good deal for the Twins. Six years, $200 million for Correa. You're locked into him through age 34. And I think it's good for fans, too. Who wanted to watch Correa play third base? You know what I mean? In New York, like Correa at shortstop is one of the more entertaining, non-hitting things to go watch at a baseball game. He's tremendous to watch play shortstop. Who wants to watch him pigeonholed over at third base? So I'm glad he's going to keep playing shortstop, although – uh, that might impact Jeremy Pena's ability to defend this gold glove that he won this past season. Well, he played last year, and uh, he didn't do that well at the plate, and everybody acted like he was great, and he was not. He missed 26 games, and uh, i tell you what, they were not good with him. There's a good chance they're not going to be good with him again, and I'll guarantee you, even though that's a lot of money. Yeah. If he's the kind of look back when he's laying in bed at night looking up at the ceiling – and the Astros are still winning of wishing that he had stayed here. I, I think he wish I think he was wishing it while he was working for TBS during the postseason at Astro games, watching the Astros win 
Well, I think I guess he was doing the ALCS when they were in town uh, doing those games. So, I, yeah, I can't imagine that Carlos Correa doesn't have severe, severe uh, regret over. I don't, look, the consolation prize is he's making $200 million up in Minnesota. That's not a bad landing spot for him. But uh, that's the other thing, John. Like, he was planning on being a star in either San Francisco or New York, like big, big markets. And now he's in Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> no, like it, he, he also lost a chance to go to the World Series with uh, the Mets, who are really yeah. good. Nobody's going to pick the Twins. George Springer's got a better chance to win a World Series than Correa does because Toronto's loaded again. They just play the toughest division. But uh, I often wonder what if Springer was still here and they didn't need a center fielder. Yep. Now, Correa's easier to stomach because of Jeremy Pena. Hopefully he doesn't have a sophomore slump. He picks up where he left off in the playoffs when he was tremendous, but uh, I kind of feel bad for Craig because you he's know, a good guy. Cause he's a good guy and he was great for the organization Yeah, and he stood up during the scandal and you know, no matter where his back and glove are, his heart's going to be right here. No doubt. No doubt. Still bleeds orange. I'm sure. Hey, John, if you had to pick one of the former Astro free agents that have left one of the former Astros who left in free agency over the last four or five years, like the marquee ones. So I'll just go through them real quick. Charlie Morton in 2018. I think Morton's still with the Braves, right? He didn't go somewhere else this offseason. No, he's still playing. He's still with the Braves. Cole with the Yankees. Springer with the Blue Jays. Correa with the Twins. Verlander with the Mets. You've got to pick one of them to win a World Series ring. With Who's going to be the first one to win a World Series ring? If they do, you know, if any, with their new team, you had to pick one. Uh, well, Morton's been there so long; it's just weird. I mean, he won a World Series ring, right? When oh, yeah, that's right. They did. Yeah. Okay, we'll put Morton aside. I Sorry think about that. Verlander because the Mets won 100 games last year. They, they were, and they've spent a lot of money. Yeah. Even though Jacob Degrom left, Verlander's more durable. I would say Justin Verlander because the way we watched him pitch at that age. Last year, coming off all but one game of being out for two years, I would say Verlander with the Mets. My second choice would be Springer with the Jays. Really? I had a call with the Yankees. Huh? You, you think the Jays are going to be better than the Yankees? The Yankees the can't get past the Astros. Well, the Jays can't get past the, the – the, at least the Yankees are in the ALCS, John. <laughs> you know, the Jays can't get past any – the Jays couldn't get, The Jays couldn't close an 8-1 to one lead on the Mariners, by God. Oh, that's a great point. I forgot about that, but – I keep reading. I read this one guy on MLB.com, and he has been doing the next 10 World Series. I saw that. Like the last, and he didn't pick the Astros in any year. Didn't pick to them to make it. Series. They don't, they're not even in any of them, let alone winning them. Yeah. yeah it's obvious he doesn't like the Astros. I think it's obvious stupid. the guy's a dumbass. That's what not, I think. Not including them in there. But uh, I just, Everybody says the Blue Jays are going to be great, but they still, like the Yankees, they have to get past the Astros. That's it, man. That's it. The AL runs through Houston, baby. All right, um, John, what do you got going on on your various platforms? I've got columns on uh, sportsradio610.com about the Texans' situation as they uh, undergo their coaching search and get ready for the free agency and the draft. And then I have one on uh, – gallerysports.com about Casario and his convoluted, some of the things he said at his news conference that he tried to clarify with you guys. And 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 sifting through everything Nick said, there were some things that were good 
And uh, that's what you have to do with him. It's like go through a grocery bag to get the candy at the bottom. Yep. And uh, so that's what I'll be writing. Then I'll have more at the end of the week. Good stuff. All right. So there you go. You can get John gallerysports.com, sportsradio610.com. Get him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Uh, big thanks to Figgy Fig for getting this podcast out to each and every one of you. We appreciate him doing that, doing a tremendous job. We appreciate all of you for downloading, sharing, uh, rating our podcast, uh, subscribing to it. Just click the subscribe button so that you don't even have to think about it. It just shows up on whatever device you listen to us on. We appreciate that. And uh, it's a fun time of year, coaching search and the NFL draft. That's the other thing Nick said today, John. The time parameters he put around the coaching search, he said two to three weeks at least before they find their next head coach. So, uh, Early bird gets the worm when it comes to assistant coaches. Yep, absolutely. All right, so, um, so that's it. We're done. We're out of time. For John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We will see you all on the next episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. Thanks for listening.